This is Brett from Washington State, and I love a good podcast. That's why I never listen to I Doubt It with Dolomore. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Dollamore. All right. Welcome to episode 96 of I Doubt It with Dollamore. I am your host, as always, for 96 episodes anyway, Jesse Dollamore. And sitting across from me, I can't think of anything to say. Mimosa Lee. <laughs> Sitting with her giant mimosa is my lovely co-host, Brittany Page. It's not giant. It's giant. It's average. I don't think you understand how much one of those wine glasses holds. She doesn't have it in a delicate champagne flute. She has <laughs> it in a in a goblet of sorts. Um, No. It's a wine glass. It's in a champagne flute, and there's hardly any in it. Those wine glasses hold... Probably three quarters of a bottle. No. At most certainly they do. They're giant. All right. Well. So Brittany has a giant mimosa. Now mm-hmm. it's not filled to the brim, <laughs> but at one time it probably was. No, 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 no. Yeah. So how about that uh, new, the new, the new drop, the new intro at the top of the show? Oh yeah, I like it. Yeah. So if you didn't, if you're the type like the lovely Brittany Page, who. <laughs> who just hits fast forward until the action, you're missing out. Because what we're going to start doing is the drop that I talked about last last episode that I want the audience to send in. With the, the, you know, I'm so-and-so from so-and-so place, and I never listen to I Doubt It with Dollamore. Those that are starting to roll in. We've got many of them now. And we're going to start doing them at the beginning of the show before the intro. So... If you want in on the fun, well, one, if you have, if you fast forwarded past the show like Brittany does, not this show, because I'm sure certain she doesn't listen to this show. Yeah, I don't. Um, no one does. W- why would I? Right. I've lived it. It's dumb luck that we've gotten any submissions whatsoever since nobody <laughs> listens to the show. But if you'd like to be in on the fun, uh, 657-464-7609, that is the number that you can call to leave one. Make sure they're brief. I don't want to have to edit down a minute and a half into like 10 to 12 seconds. Um, you can do it there, or you can record yourself on your smartphone and email it to idoubtit at dollamore.com. And we're having a good time with them. We've gotten some very funny ones, some pretty creative ones, and uh, I'm I'm enjoying it a lot. So the one thing I wanted to talk about before we get get to the show is... Something that happened this this uh, the last couple days, Brittany and I went to eat at a place. <laughs> Do you know where I'm going with this? No. <laughs> Brittany and I went to eat at a place, and if you've listened to the show at all, you know that Brittany Page is a mild germaphobe, mm-hmm. very mild, mm-hmm. but she also has an issue with um, hair. Oh, in- my God. Well... This is weird. What happened? Mm-hmm. Uh, listen, I understand people being a little grossed out about ha- finding a hair in their food. I am not that type. If I find a hair in my food, Ugh. I'll just pull it out. And, oh, my God. And just plow ahead. Disgusting. You, on the other hand, found a hair in mm-hmm. your food mm-hmm. 
and it was in your mouth and you got the hair out and then you continued to eat, but you were gagging as you went along. This all may sound normal and no one might guess that it would be weird. Mm -hmm. However, it was her own hair that was in the food. (laughs) Okay. And also the hair was never in my mouth. The hair was on my plate and I saw it after I had taken the bite Oh, and it was sushi. So, so we have to say what kind of food it was too, because that's also something to take into consideration. Well, if it was like mashed potatoes, a hair is more likely to be mixed up in it, you know, but, but explaining that it's sushi, (laughs) a cut roll, the hair was not on the cut roll. It was just on your plate. It was just on my plate. Okay. And so what happens is I... Go ahead. Explain it. I'm disgusted by the hair. So I... Your your hair. So anyway, (laughs) I put the food in my mouth and then I saw the hair on my plate and I immediately start, you know... Yeah, it was... You were... It was a gag reflex. Like you were... You really were working hard to not puke while eating the delicious roll that we were having. Yeah. So it was really unfortunate. Yeah, what's unfortunate is you're a weirdo. Okay. You're I'm, grossed out by the hair that is connected to your own head. Okay, it it, it was probably mine. No, we don't know 100% for sure that it was mine. I am 100% certain that it is yours, that it was yours. Okay, well, it's probably like 85%. All right, all right oh, okay, <laughs> L- let's give that then. Let's say that it, that you, that, that, that I will give you that it may not have been yours. Mm-hmm. In your head, when you were choking down the delicious roll, mm-hmm. in your head, you thought it was your hair. Um, you hadn't gone through any process of elimination thinking, well, it could be someone else's. You thought, oh, there's one of my hairs. No. I, let me gag down this delicious food. Okay, I was trying to tell myself it's just my hair. It's just my hair. <laughs> To get myself through it so that I wouldn't have to spit out my food. No, no, no. Okay, now there's a nuance to this. You were trying to tell yourself, it's just my hair, it's just my hair. That's different than telling yourself, it's just my hair. That's just my hair. You, do, you, do you get the difference? No. Of course you don't, because you, because you call it 7-Up. You don't call it 7-Up, you call it 7-Up. Anyway, I don't hear a difference in what you're saying there either. <laughs> So there's a I nuance. I love Seven Up. You weren't convincing yourself that it was your hair. You were just convincing yourself, "Oh, that's just my hair. That's just my hair." <laughs> there's a total difference between the two. I don't understand what point you're trying to make right now at all. Well, I, rest assured, the audience does. Okay, I've had terrible experiences with hair in my food, and so that's I'm a little scarred from it. One time, there was a hair in my chicken McNugget when I was like a teenager, and. I put this chicken McNugget in my mouth and I started chewing. And you know when you can you can feel the oh, hair yeah. flicking against your tongue yeah. like you're strumming a guitar with your tongue. <laughs> and so I knew something wasn't right. And I started yanking the hair out and it was like, you know, getting stuck as I'm pulling it out. And it was wrapped up in the chicken McNugget and it was a black hair. And I just like, oh, yeah. yeah, it was disgusting. Why is it black hair? is just extra gross because you can see it more, I yeah. guess. I don't know. I, I don't know either, but it's, it, it seems to me that... Also, if you don't have black hair, it's kind of... Well, it's for alarming. sure not yours. Yeah. <laughs> so where did this come from? This is for sure not mine. It's black, so I can see it very well in my food. I don't like it. Right. Well, 
I guess we'll leave it to the audience to, to sound off about what they think about your odd predilection toward being grossed out by your own <laughs> hair. 657-464-7609. That is how you sound off. You can also email us, I doubt it at dollamore.com. So moving on, getting into the show here. This Friday night, I was watching um, Bill Maher's Real Time on HBO. And the only reason that we were watching it is because of the whole vaccine thing happening right now. And we wanted to see if he would weigh in. Right. Because he's an anti-vax guy. Right. Yeah. Well, he's he's on the record as an anti-vax guy. And the show started quite auspiciously like this. Let's first talk about the... Uh topic that's getting everybody crazy in america measles and what goes on here and you know when i start these conversations i always have to say i'm not an anti-vaxxer never have been i'm an anti-flu shot guy because i think that's bullshit and i think the fact that it was 23 percent effective this week bears that out okay but uh you know if ebola was airborne i'd get the vaccine tomorrow uh but let me just start before we get into the thing itself the the attitude of the media this week kind of pissed me off it was just a lot of shut the fuck up you know it reminded me of the iraq war the first weeks mm -hmm. just don't ask any questions yeah and uh i was wondering if that bothered anybody else and then i was wondering what you th think we should do about this this problem of parents who may not want to do it versus the public good so saying you're and not an anti-vax guy doesn't mean you're not an anti-vax guy. No, well, apparently, Bill Maher is like every goddamn politician in the world, doesn't understand that we have this new thing. <laughs> What's it called? It's called television, and it's called radio, and it's called recording. And there, there can be evidence of him saying stupid things. Like this, he must not remember... This exact exchange that took place on this exact show just a, just a number of years ago. Conservatives always say about health care, yeah. especially, you yeah. know, you're going to let the government run health care. They screw everything up. So why would you let them be the ones to stick a disease into your arm? I mean, I, I, would, never get, flu I would never get a swine flu vaccine or any. Yeah. I would never get the swine flu vaccine or any vaccine. Right. And he's even using the language that anti-vax people use, which is, I would never let the government inject a disease into my arm. Yeah, yeah. He's using that hyperbolic language where he's he's trying to make people think that it's, they're injecting the disease into your arm. It's inflammatory. It's not factual. It's not based on science. It's complete and utter bullshit. It's just weird to me. And, and then the whole, this reminds me of the whole Iraq war and he's referring to, if anyone disagrees, because the media, largely CNN this week, I've been very proud of them, they have reinforced after every interview with some housewife who's done a lot of research, quote unquote, mm -hmm. every time they end the interview, they cut back to the anchors in the wide shot and they say, well, just so everybody knows, autism is not caused by vaccines. Vaccines are safe. Science has come to a consensus, an overwhelming consensus on this matter. So they're doing their due diligence. And while they're offering some time, some airtime for the other opinion, they are certainly doing a good job of letting it be known that the other side is wacky. So the show continued this last Friday 
uh, with Bill Maher. Again, about this era we live in where we can't ask any questions, I'm going to ask a couple of questions. One is, um, even if we agree, and I think we all do, that vaccines are pretty much safe, and they certainly are effective, you know, they can wipe out diseases, can you do too much of a good thing? Because America loves to do that. Uh, can you eradicate too many diseases? That's, listen, Brittany. America needs to slow it down. Listen, Brittany. You need to just calm down. Because too much of a good thing can be bad. And America loves to do good things. Bill Maher is essentially saying, hey, can we stop preventing so many kids from dying? <laughs> right. Listen, I know polio was kind of a bummer, but do we have to completely eradicate it? I mean, come on. <laughs> I, I, if Bill Gates, if Bill and Melinda Gates watched this episode, I, I bet their heads just exploded. Bill Gates seems, you know, very studious and very, you know, nerd, kind of bookwormy. I bet you he'd get up and just punch Bill Maher right in his fucking face. <laughs> <laughs> I bet he would. I bet he would be so angry that he might do that because, you know, Bill Maher is on a, a great platform where yeah. he's influencing. Yeah. You know, I don't know how many people, thousands. Millions of people watch his show. Well, I mean, how many people is he really influencing? I watched it, but he's not influencing me. Well, listen, me. it's something that we'll get to, I guess. But when I watch the show, what he says doesn't enrage me as much as the reaction of his goddamn audience. Oh, those right. idiots, these these idiot, mindless Los Angeles morons mm -hmm. in the audience who every single thing he says, they burst into wild applause like he's their he's their guru or whatever. Ugh, just it really. I become that guy that I hate who's yelling at the TV and they make me mad. <laughs> well, I'll say this. I did not leap out of my chair to yell at the TV. That did not happen. Yeah, right. So I didn't physically get out of my chair. Listen, there was a lot of <laughs> there was a lot of pausing. You got out of your chair a lot, actually. You you I think you stood through half the segment because you were so pissed off. There was a lot of pausing going on. A lot of pausing and discussing. And immediately when we watched it, it was, oh yeah, this is going on the show. Yeah. We're talking about all of this. Yes. So the conversation continued on Bill Maher. I made a list just literally off the top of my head. Oh, oh right, right. <laughs> I just made a list literally off the top of my head. Who is this guy? <laughs> Fucking Sean Hannity? Yeah. <laughs> so he made a list literally off the top of his head. And I want you to listen to what he says. He goes into Sarah Palin mode where it's just word salad. He's just he just talks using buzzwords and and trying to draw emotion out of his stupid Los Angeles audience. So listen <laughs> to the list that more than likely he did literally just come up with on the top of his head. About places where I don't agree with the medical establishment. Uh, they, I mentioned this to Dr. Gwandi, who was here a few weeks ago. I've never heard of a doctor asking anybody, and no one has ever asked me, a Western doctor, when I went to them for anything, what do you eat? That's right. What do you eat? What doctor is he seeing? Yeah, that's what I was going to say, especially if you have a cholesterol issue, if you have right. any number of health problems, or if you are likely to inherit a health problem like heart disease or something like that. Of course, your doctor is asking you about your diets. Every doctor I go see asks me a number of different things about what I eat, whether it be spicy, whether how much coffee I drink, how much alcohol I drink, consume per day. All that gets covered in great detail. So either he's seen some fucking hack... Or, I don't know. The other thing he, he, he talks about, and I don't know if it's in this clip or another, 
he talks about Western medicine with this kind of disparaging tone, tongue-in-cheek kind of uh, you know the Western medicine. Right. All right, go get your acupuncture, Mister Wu. That's not meaning Chinese. That means woo-woo. Yeah. Your your non-science bullshit. Ugh. The thing that perhaps is most influential in whatever may be wrong with us, or maybe it's exacerbating it, okay, uh, they address symptoms and not root causes. They're okay with things like aspartame. Aspartame. He doesn't even know aspartame. aspartame. Well, whatever it is, it's shit. And I'm not okay with it. Uh, GMOs. I remember five years ago, if you said, I don't eat GMOs, you were a nut. Well, there's a lot of nuts now. Who, who at least want to know He's right. GMOs. There are a lot of nuts. Uh, they overdid antibiotics. Uh, with the doctor a few weeks ago, we were talking about how not one country in the world does nearly the amount of surgery we do. Uh, I've heard on the news endless times, two drinks a day is good for you. I think no drinks a day is good for you. <clears throat> I think, you know... A- Oh, well, well, Bill Maher is a scientist. Right. And he's conducting experiments and then analyzing data and reaching conclusions. So he thinks that no drinks is good for you. I think no drinks is good for you because I've done all of these studies and the compendium of knowledge of the medical community related to this matter about the antioxidants in red wine and the the benefits of drinking of very moderate alcohol use. Nah. I'm going to go with what I think rather than what they've determined through scientific research. Okay. Um, I have some- one word, Monsanto. You know, who uh, the, the ex-Monsanto officers are in our government. There's a revolving door going on there. And, and they love to also demonize things, you know, like the sun. Stay out of the sun completely. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> It's just like, what are you talking about? So is he trying to um, minimize the effects of the sun as far as skin cancer and aging? And- right. When, when thousands upon thousands of people die from melanoma every year. And also, no one's saying stay out of the sun completely. <laughs> no one's saying that. that that's asinine. First of all, he also looks like he never goes in the sun. So that was kind of something that was strange while he said that. Right. You know, uh, cholesterol. Yes, I'm sure cholesterol is bad in excess, but you need cholesterol. Fat, you know, they'll tell you one week fat and then it's carbs. It's, it, it, it does. Here's the thing. Just because there are trends in diets, the, 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 the base of scientific community doesn't change on many of these matters. They say a balanced diet. Right. Science isn't saying, oh, yeah, the Atkins diet, that's what you need to do. Oh, the paleo thing. Oh, stay away from gluten. That's not the scientific community relative to nutrition. Right. We've been pretty constant on the the, the food groups. You need your whole grains. You need good fiber. You need veggies. You need your protein. That's all... That's all maintained. And and what science does do, you know, when these fads come out, there have been studies on the effects of the gluten diet and how it's actually not very beneficial for people that don't have a legitimate issue with gluten. And right. the same has been found for other diets that are very specific, unless it's for a, you know, a specific population of, of people that have a health problem or a certain need that needs to be met, then it's not really generalizable to the population. Right. So when a trend picks up, he takes that, he assumes that must mean science is behind it.
does make you... There's a lot we don't know. There's a lot we... Thank you. Unlike global warming, which we do know. GMOs are pretty clear. It's a great force for reducing world hunger. I think that GMOs have been a huge breakthrough for the whole world. Okay, but when it comes to... But I'm not a starving child in Africa. Okay, yes, if I was starving, I would eat a GMO food. But that's not the case here. What study? So that's not the case here. I'm not... I'm not a starving African living in squalor and poverty, so we, no one should have GMOs because it doesn't affect me. Well, and he also doesn't understand what he's saying when he's saying it. So so GMOs aren't safe. I mean, that's the implication behind what he's saying, that it makes sense that people are skeptical skeptical of GMOs and that they should be labeled because right. people should have the option not to eat them. Sure. But let's go ahead and feed them to people that are starving because who cares what happens to them? If they're not safe, uh, who cares? We're feeding them to them. Right. And, you know, I don't have to worry about it because I'm not in that camp. I don't need to worry about it. And people laughed at that, which is not funny. It's not funny, the joke that he made. Well, I don't think he understands just how great the impact is of GMO crops, corn and rice and wheat that they've developed and they've engineered genetically these crops to be able to grow in abundance with far less water in drought-stricken areas, namely Africa. So millions of people won't die a horrible, degenerating process of starvation. They will not starve to death. And that's not like dying in a car accident where one minute you're alive, the next minute you're dead. It is a slow, painful horrific death millions of children won't die because of the, the 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 advancements of gmos so this next guy i didn't pause it in enough time but this guy is getting ready to ask what studies say that gmos are bad what what, what credible studies you show that gmos are harmful though I... oh what okay uh all right. But I do well, have a couple we, things. we don't know and we don't trust Monsanto. If there's one company I don't trust above all, it is Monsanto. And there's the audience. Yee-hoo! So, honestly, that just infuriates me. I mean, I can't even describe how angry that makes me because... Well, it's the guy asked the question. Right. Well, what studies say that GMOs are bad? And what's the reaction? They sigh. Oh. They gasp. Oh. Oh, my gosh. Oh, and then you don't see the video, but the lady grabs his arm like, oh, sweetie. Oh, honey. Right. You, I, oh, you're so lost. And so here's a hint. Whenever someone reacts like that. And doesn't provide a list of studies. It's because they don't know what they're talking about. Right. And they're scared. And you've poked a hole in their argument. And they, the only thing they have to rely on is emotionality. They have to move away from logic and reason. And Bill Maher was forced to, as the host of the show, he had to eventually say, well, we don't know. Monsanto. Okay, we no, get no, it. That's, no, it's this. I got one word. Monsanto. It's, that's not an argument, dickhole. That's the name of a corporation that just because they turn a profit doesn't make them evil. What what am I a fucking superhero? Evil. <laughs> Just because they turn a profit doesn't make them evil. It doesn't. Yeah, it's very strange. And so here's the thing: you you heard Bill Maher talking about how the only thing that science is for sure about is climate change. Yeah. And we talked about the Pew research that was done 
and the differences in opinion on science issues from the public and scientists. And I just want to go ahead and refresh the audience on how the scientists felt here. So good. And we, we didn't talk about this last time, but I also want to let people know that the sample size of scientists here was 3,748. A massive sample. Almost so, 4,000 individuals who are considered scientists. So, so, so let's do this. So what percentage of scientists believe that that climate change is is uh, largely a result of human activity. Right. The only thing that Bill Maher says science right. is sure about. He is, he, it's his, the thing he beats his drum to is the climate change argument. 87%. 87% of scientists. Right. Okay. So what percentage of these same scientists that were polled, not a different group, the same scientists, what percentage of them believe that vaccines are effective... Um, and should be used. Okay. That percentage is 86%. So it's almost <laughs> the same, but there's a caveat here because they asked these scientists if childhood vaccines such as MMR should be required. Okay. That's how they phrase the question. Should they be required? That's that would, in my mind, that would make that percentage lower than if they just left that part of the question out. Right. Because if there are scientists who are, let's say, libertarian leaning and sure. don't want the government involved in forcing people to make those decisions, then they would be more likely to say, no, they shouldn't be required. Right. It didn't ask about safety. But as you can see, it was very close to the percentage of climate change. Well, it's probably within the, the margin of error. Right. Because usually it's a 2 to 5% margin of error either way. Right. So he's he's trapped. So, okay, let's ask this then. What percentage of scientists, the same group, again, the same group of scientists for the 87 and the 86%, what percentage of these scientists believe that it's safe to eat gen genetically modified organisms or GMOs? 88%. <laughs> so that is higher than climate change. Right. Higher than the topic to which he beats his drum. Right. Climate change. Right. 86, 87, and 88%. Right. Ugh. Well, listen, it doesn't, it, it just gets worse for Bill Maher. I pulled some clips from previous shows, and in these clips, he's talking about climate change. As we've demonstrated that science is. In unison, there is a consensus about the matter of, of vaccines and, for that matter, about GMOs. So imagine in these next clips that he's talking about GMOs or he's talking about vaccines. Even scarier is why people have stopped thinking global warming is real. One major reason, pollsters say, is we had a very cold, snowy winter. Which is like saying the sun might not be real because last night it got dark. <laughs> uh, his audience. And my car is not real because I can't find my keys. And that's the problem with our obsession to always see two sides of every issue equally, especially when one side has a lot of money. It means we have to pretend there are always two truths. And the side that doesn't know anything has something to say. On this side of the debate, every scientist in the world. On the other, Mr. Potato Head. <laughs> there is no debate here. It's just scientists versus non-scientists. And since the topic is science, the non-scientists don't get a vote. We 
Oh, really? Yeah, it's Bill Maher taking his medicine right now. We shouldn't is what it decide is. everything by polling the masses. This is the fallacy called argumentum ad numerum, the idea that something is true because great numbers believe it, as in, eat shit, 20 trillion flies can't be wrong. <laughs> He's decimating his own viewpoint on vaccines and GMOs single-handedly. So I have two points. On Friday's show, he talked about how he believes the flu vaccine is shit. Right? Yeah, that's what he said. And said that it's it was 23% effective this season. And so that means, apparently, that it never works, that it's never helpful, that it's never done anything good. The word he used was this week, this last week. So not even season. He said week. <laughs> Well, and which, is, it, which bolsters your point even more. Right. And, and and so in this clip we just played, which is years ago, he said the sun might not be real because it got dark. So he's making a, a, a reference to what he described with the flu vaccine because it goes through a period where it may not have been as effective because the disease morphs right. and they can't get every strain covered in the vaccine during the season. It doesn't mean that overall right. it's not awesome and it doesn't work. It's like the HPV vaccine, which only covers, I think, maybe like four to six strains of HPV, but there's Gardasil. many different Gardasil, kinds. Right? right, Gardasil. And... Is that not still saving people's lives? Is right. that not preventing cervical cancer? Is right. that not doing good only because it covers certain strains? Absolutely. No, it is doing good. Right. So the last clip we're going to play. Oh, I wanted one more point. Oh, yeah. Bring it up. So he says, sorry, it gets <laughs> me. Preach your sister. Brittany's it gets fired me fired up. up. <laughs> so he says, he says in that clip from a couple years ago, we just played that we have to pretend there's two sides to every story. Right. And he's saying, yeah, we have to pretend and uh, give the side of the people who don't understand science. But then in this last clip, when he's talking about vaccines, he's like, we aren't allowed to ask questions anymore. And if you're saying you're skeptical, then you're automatically a nut and all this. Uh, well, what happened to you a couple of years ago right, when well, you were talking about climate change? Right, and he called it science versus Mr. Potato Head. Right. So he's being goddamn Mr. Potato Head by his own, under his own argument. Right. Ugh. So the last clip we're going to play, again, is from a different episode, not, 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 uh, not Friday, but prior to that. Have the humility to, I don't understand. I, I, look, I'm the one who's having humility. I'm saying we should have a debate look, here. You guys are saying Steve, that the debate is How about we just listen Steve, to the scientists? That's like what I'm saying. Is. Listen so, to the scientists. Have the humility to believe people who know things you don't. Like people like you guys who are saying, no, we can't have a debate on this. The debate is over. At some point, the debate has to be. you're the one should have some humility to say, wait a minute, there are a lot of people who disagree. Should we still debate whether the earth is flat? Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm asking you. No, you're saying that you're saying every debate should go on. That's not how science works. At right. some point, you reach its consensus and you debate the next issue. The next issue being how do we deal with climate change? So why can't he take his advice here? Because that's great what he just said. Yeah. Scientific consensus. It's in. We know the answer. So why are you still trying to debate vaccines? Why are you still trying to debate GMOs? I mean, it, it, I can understand some skepticism towards GMOs because a lot of the longitudinal research isn't in yet. But right now it's safe. So when things change, you're free to change your mind. That's the beautiful thing about science. That's the beautiful thing about changing. Right. But as far as vaccines go, they've been a, they've been around for a long time. Right. We've had plenty of longitudinal research on this. So... I don't understand why he isn't following 
what he's what his earlier self is proclaiming when he's screaming, have humility to listen to people who know more about the issue than you. Well, why isn't he doing that now? While he's literally screaming about it, have the humility, he wails, to listen to people who know more about this subject than you. Right. Which on any subject would be anybody over Bill Maher because he's a goddamn moron. Well, and the thing is, what I'd love to know about Bill Maher is how often he's pulling scientific articles. <laughs> Come on, really? And, and reading these articles. There's not a chance. There is not a chance he's pulling scientific articles. And seeing what the experimental design is. Seeing nope. what statistical analysis was used. Nope. Seeing what the limitations of the study might have been. Nope. All of these things are important to yes, read in depth and consider. And I just don't know if he's doing that. And if he's not, then I don't know why he's talking about these issues. Well, because he's being paid millions of dollars from HBO to do a stupid show that has the all- LA audience in in a Twitter. Oh, oh, Bill Moore, you're so smart. <laughs> Ugh. <laughs> he exists solely and universally and exclusively to piss me off. And so the thing is, <laughs> Bill Maher is a liar because yes. he said on this show that he's not anti-vax. And he didn't say anything about what he's had to say in the past on this issue, which is that he would never get the flu vaccine or any other vaccine. He doesn't want the government government injecting a disease into his arm. He was very clear on that. So if he no longer believes that, I think he needs to be direct about it and say, I know I said this in the past. I don't actually mean it anymore. I was dumb to say that. You know, you get where I'm going with this. He needs to correct what he said if he no longer is anti-vax. Well, that's exactly right because you can't hide the fact that he said i would never swine get, flu vaccine. i would never get a swine flu vaccine or any yeah. i would never get a swine flu vaccine or any vaccine that right. sounds pro vaccine right <laughs> no. he sounds really on board with vaccinations no. i would never swine get, flu i would never get a swine flu vaccine or any yeah. Ugh. bill Maher, everybody bastion of integrity so anyway moving on Moving on, another item in the news this week, another item in the news, News. (laughs) in the news, everybody, has been uh, Brian Williams. And I don't know if you've uh, if you've heard the the hubbub and the all the craziness that's gone on and calls for his resignation. But I want to attack this issue and I want to really dive into this. And some of these clips are a little long, but I want everything to be in context. So if you're not interested, you might want to skip ahead 10 minutes or so, but you don't want to do that because... We always have a good time. Well, we have a good time. And also, you want to be informed. Yeah, you, you want to learn about stuff. And w- w- there's no way to not learn about the topic because we're using Brian Williams' words and the timeline straight away. There's no bullshit. There's no obfuscation. There's no twisting. I'm not going to take anything out of context. We're going to talk about the timeline as it went. So this happened this pa- in the last few days. This took place. On this broadcast last week, in an effort to honor and thank a veteran who protected me and so many others after a ground fire incident in the desert during the Iraq war invasion, I made a mistake in recalling the events of 12 years ago. It did not take long to hear from some brave men and women in the air crews who were also in that desert. I want to apologize. I said I was traveling in an aircraft that was hit by RPG fire. I was instead in a following aircraft 
We all landed after the ground fire incident and spent two harrowing nights in a sandstorm in the Iraq desert. This was a bungled attempt by me to thank one special veteran and by extension, our brave military men and women, veterans everywhere, those who have served while I did not. I hope they know they have my greatest respect and also now my apology. All right. Well, first and foremost, I don't I don't have any massive love for Brian Williams. I don't have any any uh why are you smiling at me? <laughs> because there I'm sorry, I was trying not to laugh, but since you just addressed the fact that I'm trying not to. Um because there was one instance where we were watching oh, the 30 real cool Rock. Cat, right. <laughs> yeah. We were watching 30 Rock and Brian Williams made an appearance on the show on one episode and <laughs> Jesse just randomly was like, you know, Brian Williams is a real cool cat. And I looked at him like, what are you talking no, about? I think the quote was, you know, Brian Williams is a real cool cat, right? <laughs> I think that was it. Yeah. <laughs> God damn, I'm dumb. So when you're saying you're not real fond of him or whatever you just said. No, there's, I don't have any skin in the game with him. It's okay. not like. Uh, Except for that he's a cool cat. Yeah. Well, he's he's he, he goes on the Daily Show and he, it's good appearances. He's funny. He's not like. Oh, I'm Walter Conkrite, and I'm too serious, and I'm I'm you know this crazy. He's funny yeah, he's and he, self-deprecating. He has it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, he lets John Stewart shit on him all the time. Yeah. He goes on the talk shows, Jay Leno, all these other shows, and he's a funny guy. Yeah. So other than that, you know, I like the funny. That's great. Mm-hmm. But I don't I don't have any affinity for him relative to um, his job. I you know I don't have a dog in the fight for. For him specifically, I just don't. Because we we don't watch NBC Nightly News. We don't. Well, what I'm trying to demonstrate is my I, there's no bias there to twist this story one way or another. Right. So, so in 2003, when he was just a like a sideline reporter, mm-hmm. he was just a guy, uh, you know, out in Iraq in the thick of things. He was on with Tom Brokaw, and this is the clip that's a little long, or it's it's a couple minutes. This clip is a little long. He goes into detail from Iraq. He's reporting what just happened to them. And uh, this is what started this entire thing. Our colleague Brian Williams is back in Kuwait City tonight after a close call on the skies over Iraq. Brian, tell us about what you got yourself into. Well, in the end, Tom, it did give us a glimpse of the war being fought as few have seen it. We asked the U.S. Army to take us on an air mission with them. They accepted. We knew there was risk involved. We knew we would be flying over Iraq. We discussed it. We weren't cavalier about it. We took off, and that is right about when things started to happen. What's the weapon status? Right now, it should still be uh, locked and loaded on safe. Indeed, just before we're able to make our drop, radio traffic makes clear this routine mission is running into trouble. We took fire on the way in. We currently are not under fire. I say again, not under fire, but we look for some type of security. Over. We quickly make our drop and then turn southwest. Suddenly, without knowing why, we learn we've been ordered to land in the desert. On the ground, we learned the Chinook ahead of us was almost blown out of the sky. That hole was made by a rocket-propelled grenade, or RPG, fired from the ground. It punched cleanly through the skin of the ship, but amazingly, it didn't detonate. 
Though the chopper pilots are too shaken to let us interview them, we learn they were shot at by some of those waving civilians, one of whom emerged from under a tarp on a pickup truck like this one and shot the grenade. We meet a unit from the 3rd Infantry, called in, as it turns out, to protect us from the enemy, which they say doesn't look like the enemy. A massive sandstorm grounds us for two nights. The infantrymen stand guard the whole time. This morning, the skies finally cleared, and we prepared to move out. We're going to kick and burn and get the heck out of here. Yeah, man. Have a safe trip back. Man. Yeah. We thank our protectors who prepare to push on toward Baghdad and we head back to base. Our routine six-hour mission had turned into 50 hours that were anything but. So because of this report, and because of some subsequent things that he has said, um, he is under investigation or under scrutiny. I don't know if investigation would be the right word, but he is certainly under scrutiny because of, of some discrepancies in his story. So Right. When you watch this particular cast, this newscast that took place in 2003, this is in the onset of the Iraq war. This is, they were in a, about as forward an operating position as you could be. This is, this is stark combat. This is Iraqi insurgents, Iraqi uh, um, military forces taking shots at the helicopter. So they have video from inside the CH-46, the Chinook, and it's a harrowing situation. It, it is clear that it is hostile and it is a combat situation. Apparently, they are at the tip of the spear operationally. They are as far forward into Iraq uh, that, than any other troops. At least that's the claim. So, 10 years later, we're going to fast forward 10 years later to the day... Ten years to the day, he's on David Letterman, and he's recounting this tale, and this is what he says. Tell me, uh, and if I knew this, I forgot it, and if I forgot it, I'm ashamed. Uh, something happened ten years ago in Iraq. Tell people what that occurred. Uh, I brought a photo, which arrived in my email two mornings ago, of where I was tonight, a decade ago. This very day. This very day. Uh, this was uh, me 10 years ago and a young command sergeant major. Uh, I was in Iraq. Now, uh, a couple of caveats here. Uh, as war correspondents go, I am the Herb Schmendrick of war correspondents. I am I'm not terribly good at it. It is not what I do full-time. I am mostly New York-based. I do go cover these two wars we've been fighting, and when I do, I like to go out on patrol. I like to get out in it. guy like Richard Engel, uh, the amount of fire we took on this day, his name for that is... Tuesday. His name for that is every day of his life. Right. We were in uh, some helicopters. What we didn't know was we were north of the invasion. We were the northernmost Americans in Iraq. We were going to drop some bridge portions across the Euphrates so the 3rd Infantry could cross on them. Uh, two of our four helicopters were hit by ground fire, including the one I was in. No kidding. Uh, RPG and, and AK-47. What, what altitude were you hit at? We were only at 100 feet doing 100 forward knots because we had these massive pieces of bridge beneath us on slings. What happens the minute everybody realizes you've been hit? Uh, we figure out how to land safely, and we did. 
We landed very quickly and hard, and we put down, and we were stuck. Four birds in the middle of the desert, and we were north out ahead of the other Americans. Oh, my. And so, as a, as, a, as a guy, as a journalist, what, what do you think? This is a great position to be in, or holy crap, i got to get out of here. I, uh... <laughs> More toward the holy crowd. <laughs> yeah. um, the, the This is great was flying over Iraq. Holy crap started when I realized the now deceased former four-star general we were traveling with, Wayne Downing, said to me, uh, using an old Vietnam era uh, term because he was a Vietnam infantryman, we're over Indian country. Mm -hmm. uh, you'll forgive uh, the political incorrectness. He said, this is unpoliced, virgin territory. We're not near, near any U.S. troops. Mm -hmm. So we got hit. We sat down. Everyone was okay. Our captain took a purple heart injury to his ear in the cockpit. Um, but we were alone. They started distributing weapons. We heard a noise, and it was Bradley fighting vehicles and Abrams tanks coming. They happened to spot us. This was the invasion, oh my God. the U.S. invasion. They saw us. They surrounded us for three days during the sandstorm that was so big it suspended the war effort. It was called Orange Crush. And they got us out of there alive. And you, this young... you were on the ground in, in combat yep. for three days. Unbeknownst to anyone back here, NBC sent my wife and children to the breakers in Florida to keep their minds off of it and keep them occupied because no one knew where we were. We couldn't be in mm -hmm. touch. Tom Brokaw was the anchor. The war coverage was going on. Our late friend David Bloom was traveling in a tank across the countryside. This was prior to his death, uh, not because of, but during combat. And uh, we got out of there and everything's fine. But this young command sergeant major, um, uh, Tim Turpak, who is now on something like his eighth deployment, oh, he's wow. in Korea, sends me this picture. Hey, buddy, here we were. Take a look at it ago. again. This is him uh, right this there. Week. there. Wow. Oh, my God. But that's what the cavalry what looks sure. like. The cavalry came for us, and that's what they look I, like. I, I have to treat you now with uh, re, uh, renewed respect. That's a tremendous story. Oh, don't uh, think any differently of me. I was an accidental tourist covering a conflict, trying to get close to these fantastic volunteers we have uh, in the war yeah. who raised their hands to go fight two wars. Uh, we got hit, and I came away just with more respect mm -hmm. uh, for these men and women. We just got to make sure they get everything they deserve when they and, come home. And, uh, yeah, absolutely. Well, there's... Sounds a lot like uh, Stolen Valor. <laughs> I'm hearing that a lot. I'm hearing a lot of people say that thing. That, oh, it's, it's Stolen Valor and he's trying to act. Listen, that, one, that's not what Stolen Valor is. Stolen Valor was a, was, a, was a congressional act that outlawed the wearing of military honor, of military awards... Like uh, the Purple Heart and uh, you know the the Navy Cross, the the Medal of Honor, those type of of uh, awards, It'll, it it outlawed you wearing those and trying to claim that you were, or people who claim to be Navy SEALs, things like that. It's since been it's been amended. It was uh, ruled unconstitutional, and they amended it to be if you are getting any financial gain from it, then it's against the law. However. That's not what he's doing here. He's just saying I was on the plane and I was on the helicopter and it took fire. So he was on. He was on the, on the helicopter. That's undeniable. Mm -hmm. 
He says that two of the four took fire. One small arms fire, being AK-47 fire, which is a machine gun, just a, a, a you know a, a small arms. And the other was RPG, which is rocket-propelled grenade, which is big deal. That's going to take a helicopter down. Right. So two of the four, and he was on one of them that took some small arms fire. Well, that's that's the problem. And then this last week, he talked about this again and repeated this same story. And some of the soldiers came out and said, no, that's that's not the case. You weren't on the helicopter. Well, since then, the media has gone crazy, especially... Fox News. And Eric Bowling, Who the, is a co-host of The Five. He's a co-host of The Five. and um, He wears the same shirt and jacket every day. Yeah, he's a guy who doesn't wear a tie. <laughs> he, he's, he's an idiot. Anyway, he happened to put this out on, I think it was The Five. He said this. Okay, folks, sometimes the fish jumps right in the boat. Case in point this week. Six weeks ago, by the way, Brian Williams was a fool of the week for some of the, for ignoring Jonathan Gruber for 40 days straight. And then also for the question he asked General Hayden about whether he would have approved of his family being waterboarded. That was ridiculous. Why is that a ridiculous question? But, right. You know what? This week, for lying about your valor and lying about being shot at uh, back in 2003 and possibly lying about what happened in Katrina, those can be excused. But for violating all journalistic ethics and for destroying your credibility a way not seen since Dan Rather and that whole incident with Bush's military service, you earn this week's Fool of the Week. Well, first of all, being shot at, dickhole, isn't valor. That's not what valor is. <laughs> Just being shot at. Right. If that's the case, then 50 Cent... He's all full of valor because he's been shot at and shot. I love how you did the fitty. Well, he, that's his name. It's not 50 cent. I say 50 cent. No, I do not. It's 50 cent. Okay. Come on now. <laughs> so so what I'm saying is... Do you also say birthday? I do say birthday. <laughs> <laughs> so that is not what valor is. He's not trying to be uh, some some victorious war hero. Yeah. He's just a journalist who was on a helicopter, like you've already heard him say. It's not like he is painting an image that's equivalent to a, the Fast and Furious trailer or something, where he, right. he jumped out of the helicopter with a knife in his teeth and, like, took people down with him or something. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So the media has gone kind of crazy. And even some of the shows on CNN have gone even more, not so much crazy. They're doing it in a more metered way. But on Jake Tapper's show, he interviewed the pilot of the helicopter on which Brian Williams was part of the crew. And Jake Tapper is on CNN. That's right. So this took place, an interview with the pilot, and this is what the pilot said. Joining me on the phone right now is former Chief Warrant Officer for Rich Krell, the pilot of the Chinook helicopter on which Williams was traveling back in 2003. Uh, Rich, uh, tell us what happened that day. Uh, did the helicopter you were in, that Brian Williams was in, take any RPG fire? Did it take any small arms fire? Uh, we were a flight of three, and I was on the second aircraft, and Mr. Williams was on board my aircraft. We took small arms fire. All I know is one RPG was fired. It struck the lead aircraft, which was about what we call six rotor disc in front of me. I've been on a helicopter before. 
and I know you can you can't hear anything really, uh, especially if you're in the in the back. Would he have been able to have heard the small arms fire? He would have been aware of it because of the activity of the crew. The door gunners were returning fire, so that's M60s are very loud. Um, the pinging of the bullets hitting us. There were only a few, but, you know, it's a distinct sound. So whether he heard it or not, I'm not sure. But he was aware something was going on because our door gunners were returning fire. And you, you're, just, to, just to reiterate this point, your helicopter did take fire. Did it come into the helicopter at all? It struck the belly uh, up in the forward cabin area and one, two other side hits. But it didn't cause any major damage, uh, just some minor damage to electronic components. So here's what bothers me. You've got you've got Brian Williams saying two of the four CH46s re- took on fire, whether it be small arms or RPG. He didn't say my aircraft was hit by an RPG. He's saying two of the four, one of the which I was on, took small arms and RPG fire. Here we have the the pilot of of the of the of the helicopter saying, "Yes, we took my particular helicopter, which Brian Williams was was a passenger, did take on small arms fire, which was fo- in the forward cabin area. It didn't do really any damage, but it did do some electronics, you know, some minor, some minor uh, snafus that were caused by it. So he's admitting it. Well, a little bit later, a couple days later, apparently he came out and, well, there's a, he recanted and. He talked to Brian Stelter and said this via text message. And this morning, Rich Krell text messaged me and said now he is uh, questioning his own memories. He says that the nightmares of Iraq have now resurfaced in him and he wants them to go away. Essentially, Carol, he is backtracking. I think it's really important to tell viewers that that has happened. So he he's recanting because he can't trust his memories. Right. And I think that that really gets to the heart of what this issue is surrounding Brian Williams, which is the idea of false memories. And false memories are pretty common. It's There's a woman named Elizabeth Loftus, and yeah. she's a pioneering researcher in the area of false memories. She's been researching this for decades, and she's at UCI. She's local here, University of California, Irvine. Yes, yeah. and she talks about how your memories can change. You can change your memories. People can change your memories by the, by the things they say, by the interactions you have with people. And of course, by time going by, there are memories that could be implanted in your brain. Even. Yeah. So, well, here's my thing it is if, if everybody's going to give this pilot the benefit of the doubt, because he can't trust his memories because of the trauma of the situation or whatever, why can't they give Brian Williams the same leeway because this pilot gave a very detailed account of what happened forward area of the cabin that's where in the belly of the aircraft there was small arms fire so if he gave such a detailed account and then only days later recanted because his memories can't be trusted and his nightmares and the you know the the trauma of of a battle fatigued soldier that's understandable, but why can't Brian Williams be afforded the same the same courtesy? Because he was at least following a helicopter that received fire. Right. And so that was obviously going to be a traumatic situation for sure. someone like Brian Williams. So so getting back to uh, Elizabeth Loftus, 
um, like you said, she's a pioneering researcher in this field about false memories. Um, she did the, a TED Talk. Mm-hmm. And some of the research that she did, we got a little short clip here about her talking about some of the findings that they, they've, uh, they've discovered. In one study, we showed people a simulated accident. And we asked people, how fast were the cars going when they hit each other? And we asked other people, how fast were the cars going when they smashed into each other? And if we asked the leading smash question, the witnesses told us the cars were going faster. And moreover, that leading smashed question caused people to be more likely to tell us that they saw broken glass in the accident scene when there wasn't any broken glass at all. That's super interesting. In another study, we showed a simulated accident where a car went through an intersection with a stop sign, and if we asked a question that insinuated it was a yield sign, many witnesses told us they remember seeing a yield sign at the intersection, not a stop sign. And you might be thinking, well, you know, these are filmed events, they're not particularly stressful, would the same kind of mistakes be made with a really stressful event? In a study we published just a few months ago, we have an answer to this question. Because what was unusual about this study is we arranged for people to have a very stressful experience. The subjects in this study were members of the US military who were undergoing a a harrowing training exercise to teach them what it's going to be like for them if they are ever captured as prisoners of war. And as part of this training exercise, these soldiers are interrogated in an aggressive, hostile, physically abusive fashion for 30 minutes. And later on, they have to try to identify the person who conducted that interrogation. And when we feed them suggestive information that insinuates it's a different person, many of them misidentify their interrogator, often identifying someone who doesn't even remotely resemble the real interrogator. And so what these studies are showing is that when you feed people misinformation about some experience that that they may have had, you can distort or contaminate or change their memory. Here's what's interesting about this. When you watch the TED Talk, they put the pictures of the two dudes, the interrogators, on the screen. And the person who actually did the interrogation is kind of a swarthy guy with like a bigger nose. He's um, darker features, obviously. He's he's kind of a, almost a five o'clock shadow. And then the, the guy that they mistook is blonde with a crew cut. He's got a really small, no- he, he looks nothing like the other guy who actually did the abuse and the interrogation. So it goes to show that through different events and questioning, I mean, they were trying to manipulate it this way, but obviously they're not being direct about it. They're not saying, they're just leading someone down a path. So anything can cause someone to develop a memory of something that wasn't there, that didn't happen. Right. And she's even gone so far with her research as to investigate the ability to implant false memories. Oh, wow. She did this with uh, a technique that's called lost in the mall. And she gives participants, let's say, five narratives and four of them are true and and from like family members Mm -hmm. and one of them is false. 
And she says, go ahead and tell me about each of these narratives. Give me as many details as possible about each of these stories. And if you see one on there that's false, that didn't happen to you, just go ahead and say so. And one of the false ones is uh, about getting lost at the mall when they were five. And 25% of the participants in one of her studies started giving her details about this false event and was very specific about what they remembered. Right. And so they created... A false memory where they believed they had been lost in the mall. Unbelievable. And then at the end of the study, when participants were told that one of the events was false, and then they were asked to choose which one they thought was false, only in in one of her studies, five of 24 people were able to identify the false narrative. So 25% 25 of participants created a false memory. And then only 25% of that 25% were able to tell that it was the wrong memory, that it was the false memory. Yes. So this illustrates how malleable memory can be. And that's why I think giving Brian Williams the benefit of the doubt is the most plausible reaction here because he was in a traumatic situation. It's been years. He's heard other people talk about it. And all these things have impacted his memory. And I I would also postulate that it was even more strenuous and stressful for him because he hasn't been trained in the manner that the military has. Right. It's not an everyday thing to be on a CH-46, which is a loud machine. Right. It is a it, it is a, a, a super st- stressful thing just to be on one. It's not like flying United to <laughs> Dallas. You know what I mean? It's, right. It's stressful. It's yeah. loud. You've got you've got cans on over the ear earmuffs that keep the sound. It, it's it's terrible. Especially if you're a New York journalist who's used to flying first class. That's yeah. what, Look, he's not a hardened war veteran. He's Brian Williams, the real cool cat. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So listen, I would give him, I would absolutely give him the benefit of the doubt. Right. That he's not trying to steal valor. He's not saying he, oh yeah, I took a sidearm and I was fighting the Iraqis. He's just like I was riding along. And to the best of my understanding, we took air. We took we took uh, we took fire. Right. So, give the guy a fucking break. How about that? That sounds good. <laughs> All right. Next up, this is something that Brittany has been itching to talk about, and we put it as the third topic. But this last week, two things have happened. And this happens all the time, and it's something we've talked about before. And it's about the headline of a story from a media outlet with an agenda mm-hmm. that gives a headline that does not reflect accurately in the slightest what happened in the article and what they cover. Well, even sometimes the article is not accurate as well right. from yeah. these sources sure, that we'll sure. talk about. So the first one is from uh, Mediaite, and it's about the aforementioned, uh, the, the aforementioned Eric Bowling. That the title of the article is zero, that he said zero people have been killed in the name of every religion but Islam. And they lead you to believe that he said on air that Al- or, uh, ISIL is killing thousands of people. And if you count the people that Christianity and all other religions have killed throughout history, it's zero. And that's not what went down. 
President Obama did something this week that I believe will follow him for the rest of his presidency and legacy. So egregious, I wrote a piece for FoxNews.com because I am sure he will never be able to separate himself from this. Speaking at the White House prayer breakfast on Thursday, President Obama lumped Christians and murderous Islamic terrorists together. And lest we get on our high horse and think this is unique to some other place, remember that during the Crusades and the Inquisition, people committed terrible deeds in the name of Christ. So this is not unique to one group or one religion. There is a tendency in us, a sinful tendency, that can pervert and distort our faith. Did I say lumped? My bad. He practically blamed Christians for the religious fanatics who are burning men alive, burying children alive, and crucifying young boys. And talking about both in the same context is simply not okay. He crossed the line. In fact, President Obama pole vaulted over the line. Using some misguided moral equivalency, President Obama reached back a thousand years to compare a group of Christians then to radical Islamists killing innocents in the name of Allah now. Reports say radical Muslim jihadists killed thousands of people in the past few months alone, and yet, when you take Christianity, Judaism, Hinduism, Buddhism, whatever, their combined killings in the name of religion, well, that number would be zero. I think President Obama went too far this time. This is coming from the very core of my Christianity, my humanity, and my civilized self. Mr. President, save your legacy. Apologize to Christians everywhere. Mentioning Christianity and what's being done in the name of Islam in the same breath is deeply offensive to Christians. You, sir, should know that. After all, you're a Christian, too. One, I'm shocked that he called him a Christian, too, because I, <laughs> I, I feel in my little heart... <laughs> I feel like it was sarcastic. That Eric Bowling kind of believes he's a secret Muslim because Eric Bowling is a douchebag. Eric Bowling is a, well, he's a douchebag, Brittany. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. I mean, he's not great. Uh, I'll, he's, I'll say that. He's not great. He's a douchebag. So anyway, I don't believe he was saying there at all that that um, in the in the annals of history, throughout the annals of history, that no one who under the moniker of Judaism or Christianity or Hinduism or whatever has never killed someone in the name of their religion. He's saying in the time that ISIS has been killing, none of those other religions are doing what ISIS is doing. They're not killing in the name of their faith, well, and, which might not even be true, but it's not at all what the headline would lead you to believe. Right. And if he had said that, it probably would have been more like what Bill what Bill O'Reilly said that one time when he said that um, no one believing in Jesus commits mass murder. No one believing in Jesus commits yep. mass murder. There I, it is. I, I have it memorized. <laughs> no one believing in Jesus commits mass murder. Right. That is not what Eric Bolin was saying. Can you believe I have that memorized? Of course. Okay. So, so anyway, that's one of the headlines. And they there's a whole article about it on, on Mediaite, how he was saying this. And well, it's just bullshit. Listen... He's going to hang himself. Eric Bowling is going to hang himself by himself with his own stupid words. You don't need to write some salacious headline that is not true, that is not accurate, that does not represent his actual words. So there's another story coming out from rawstory.com about a pastor, or I'm sorry, he's not a pastor. He's a he's a representative, he's a, a delegate to the West Virginia House State House of Representatives. So he's not a federal congressman, he's a state uh, representative. And the the headline 
is West Virginia Republican says rape can be quote unquote beautiful if it produces a child from Raw Story. Well, what would that lead you to believe? That he would say, oh, rape is a beautiful thing if a baby is born out of it. That's what the headline would lead you to believe. And the quote, obviously rape is awful. What is beautiful is the child that could come from this. Which would indicate to me, well, one, let's give a little background. This guy, Brian Kirkaba, K-U-R-C-A-B-A, maybe it's Kirkaba. Why can't he just have a name like Smith? Uh, you know, <laughs> listen. Now my, you know what my issue is. My name's tough enough, Dollamore. Nobody has the name Dollamore. But Kirkaba, come on, Kirkaba, get it together, Kirkaba. So Brian Kirkaba, he's uh, introducing legislation into the West Virginia State House that would make rape, that would make uh, an abortion illegal, even in the case of rape. After 20 weeks. After after 20 weeks. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's the, that's a pivotal piece of information. So obviously when debating this and the media is asking questions about it, he says, look, abortion or rape is terrible, but a baby who was born out of rape is a beautiful thing because it, the baby is beautiful. It's a life. It's beautiful. And who could argue with that? You, so if, if a baby is born out of a terrible, tragic, horrific violent, abhorrent action like rape, it's still a baby. It's still, a, if it's born, it's still a baby who's worth our our attention and worth our love and worth our, uh, every advantage we could give it because it's born. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, I think that people are, obviously abortion is a very hot topic and it gets very Sure, yeah. Heated when people debate it. But the thing is. Well, hang on, before, keep the thought. Before we go on, I'm in favor of abortion. I think abortion should be legal. If a woman wants to have an abortion, she finds out she's pregnant. It's a bad situation for her. You know, she should be able to have an abortion. I think there should be limits because eventually it's not just a clump of cells. It's a baby in there. But that's a conversation for another day. It's a conversation that should be had. Sorry, go ahead. So I think people just kind of lose it a little bit when they even hear the word abortion mentioned and they want to immediately go into their corners of whichever yeah. side they feel. Yeah, it's a good way to put and it. And get ready to fight. And so I think that when Ross Story makes this headline, West Virginia Republican says rape can be beautiful if it produces a child. That's not what he said. He clearly says, obviously, rape is awful, quote unquote. And, and he's talking baby. about the baby. Right. And here's the thing. If there are women who don't want to have a child that was a result of a rape, they don't want to go through with that pregnancy, then that's their choice. If there are women who want to carry it to term and have the baby as a result of the rape, right. that's their choice. If women want to feel that, you know, this is a terrible experience, I need to I need to do something about this, I need to take care of the situation or meaning abortion. Yeah, or that's fine too. Or I want to have a beautiful thing come out of this. I want to have a beautiful child come from this situation. Then they can feel well, that listen, way. Even if they think I'm not going to have some filthy rapist baby, that's fine too. Yeah. Well, if they I would, think I might be giving birth to another rapist, that's fine. That's their choice. Yeah. I would never try to put on anyone how they should feel in that right. situation because I don't know. So the problem comes in with why is Raw Story painting this like this. This headline is 
a fucking lie. Intentionally it's te- misleading. It's terrible. And not only that, other people are sharing it in order to be intentionally misleading. Right. People whom I respect. So the thing is, you can hate the Republican Party. You can hate how they feel about abortion. You can want to persuade people into hating the Republican Party, but do it honestly. Yeah, look, there's plenty of ammunition. You don't, you don't need to, to, to manufacture something. Yes. There's plenty of shit to drag up about how Republicans are stupid. Plenty. You don't need to say that a West Virginia Republican says rape can be beautiful if it produces a child. He didn't say rape can be beautiful. He said, quote, what is beautiful is the child that could come from this. Right. It's it's bothersome and it needs to stop. And moreover, because the only way this is going to stop is when people stop clicking their links is when people stop sharing their links. Right. Don't do it. Don't fall prey to this. There's plenty of reasons to dislike the Republican Party. Hell, there's plenty of reasons to hate the Republican Party. You don't need Raw Story and their trumped up manufactured bullshit to do it. And I'll just give you a little hint. So here's what happened when I read this headline. I said, wow, um, I'm going to put this into Google. So I put the exact same headline into Google to see what would come up. The sources that came up. Demo- Democratic Underground, right? Jezebel, of yeah, of course. Um, probably Mediaite and Raw Story, and Raw Story, and so these were all sources that I don't trust because right. they're biased. They're intentionally biased, and I then searched some more, trying to dig up just a quote about this guy. I got rid of the headline, what it actually said, and I I was able to find the quote in Huffington Post in USA Today and in these these more basic sources. Right. More reputable. Right. But some people would argue, oh, you can't trust any news sources. Well, no, you can't trust the ones that are intentionally biased, that are manipulating stories. Well, some people are completely subject and okay with being manipulated if it backs up their worldview because they want to live in an echo chamber that they they feel secure in. It's, it's like embryonic fluid. Oh, I just feel so safe in this little womb of liberalism. And the same thing happens with conservatives. The same thing. Vet your sources. Check your sources. Double check your sources. Make sure the information you're getting is correct. It's the beauty of having the goddamn internet. It's the beauty of having information, reams, voluminous amounts of information at our fingertips via the internet we can double check. We can go look at other sources immediately. You don't have to wait to get a subscription to a magazine and have it arrive in the mail. It's immediate access to information. Go check your sources. Hate, hate something for the right reason, not something manufactured. Taking care of biz. It's everyone's favorite part of the show. It is, it's my favorite part of the show. Yeah, 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 whatever. Okay, so today in Taking Care of Biz, we have a janitor that's taking care of biz. Is he real good at cleaning? I, I think all janitors are taking care of biz. Because when someone pukes in a school and they pour that red sawdust on it, that's taking care of biz. Mm-mm. Is that not what he did? No. <laughs> No, and I don't think that's taking care of biz. How is that not taking... Do you want to smell the puke or do you want it to be soaked up by the red sawdust? 
I... And what is that red sawdust, by the way? I don't want to think about it. What the hell is going on with that magic dust? I'll tell you what, though. I used to watch my janitors in my middle school take the unopened milk out of the trash, like go through the trash and take unopened milks out of the trash and put them on his cart, like saving them. That's delicious. And I always wondered if he took them home and like drank them. Why would he not? What's wrong with that? Anyway. What? (laughs) (laughs) Do you think maybe they had a hair on them? (laughs) I think they had all kinds of stuff since they were in the trash. Okay, so... Mild germaphobe. Brittany Page, everybody. So Ronald Reed is taking care of biz. I thought it was going to be Ronald Weasley. He is a Vermont gas station attendant and janitor who died last year at the age of 92. And he had been quietly amassing an $8 million fortune... Wow. Working yes. working at a at a gas station? It was not until last week that the residents of Brattleboro What state is this again? Massachusetts? New Hampshire? Vermont. Vermont. Okay. Brattleboro, Vermont. Would discover his secret. That's when the local library and hospital received the bulk of his estate, built up over the years with savvy stock picks. Wow. Yes. That's insane. Well, he's ninety two though. You know, you figure you put $5 in a bank account. I I read somewhere this week that um, Benjamin Franklin, and we're off topic here, but Benjamin Franklin, when he died, he willed like 4,500 bucks to Boston and Philadelphia. But the only only catch was they couldn't access the money for 200 years. And when Boston finally got to the money, it was um, 5 million bucks. The $4,400 had been turned into 500 bucks. So you figure $92, if he started doing this when he was like 30, that's 70 years of interest and, comp, you know, it's it's good. But amazing that a guy who works in a gas station as a janitor had $8 million. Right. So Brooks Memorial Library and Brattleboro Mem- Memorial Hospital each received their largest endowment ever. Ronald Reed left $1.2 million to the library and $4.8 million to the hospital. And wow. pe- people that knew this guy said that you would never know he was a millionaire. The last time he... this, They interviewed someone and he said the last time that he came to his place of business, he parked so far away that it was a spot where there were no meters just so he could save the coins. So he was very frugal and, and didn't like to waste money. That's amazing. Well, you know, the guy grew up his formative years were probably during the depression. And I think that that informs a lot of people of that generation about how to, how to deal with cash and how to, you got to be careful because it's not always going to be there, which shocks me that he would invest in the stock market. (laughs) Right. So, I mean, I I think it's great that taking care of biz. Yeah. He, he donated his money and, and he knows the, the impact that libraries can have on people. And so he gave some money there and hospitals are obviously very right. important. So he gave some money there. He probably is a fan of vaccinations. Probably. Taking care of biz. Taking care of biz. Well, with that, we're going to leave you, my friends and countrymen and comrades. Um, listen, go to dollamore.com if you have a purchase to make on Amazon. Up in the top right-hand corner, there is a link that says support the show. At that link, you will find an Amazon search bar. Search for whatever you want to buy, whether it be a book or a, a, a investment for dummies book. <laughs> so you can be like this guy from Brattleboro, Vermont. And uh, every purchase goes a long way towards supporting your favorite show, twice weekly show filled with news. 
news and ridiculous comment coming out of my stupid face. So that's it. Until next time, for Brittany Page, I am Jesse Dollamore, and this has been another episode of I Doubt It. I think the quote was, you know Brian Williams is a real cool cat, right? <laughs> I think that was it, yeah. Yeah. <laughs>